0: Hello everybody, it's me here again. I hope you're doing well. Before I start the show, I want to put out a message in concern of the South African situation. I want you to go watch a video for me if you can. Before this, after this, doesn't matter. Serpentza is the YouTube channel name. S-E-R-P-E-N-T-Z-A. The guy there is a boy. He has had experience living with this sort of conditions going on. He has had experience through his life and through his family. He's had some good content on China in the past. I suggest you go watch this video that he's published concerning the South African situation. Trust me when I say putting a flag over your Facebook profile or having your hearts and minds and prayers and forgiveness and concerns for south africa is really not a good idea right now instead what you want to do is you want to pray for them maybe so but you want to be able to help them out in whichever way you can you want to help the boers and you want to help the indians there have been direct orders for boers and indians their communities to be not only trashed and looted but to be run through by genocidal forces by planned attacks So, I need you to go and show direct support through funding or through boots on the ground, activities, something. Go help the Boers, the Indians, go help whoever is being targeted by these groups who are currently active as the looters and rioters who are organized in some fashion, even beyond the crowds who join in because it's there in South Africa. Thank you for your time to do so, saving what may be the twilight time of South Africa maybe it's end days. Okay, we're going to be continuing on directly with the numbers of the 64 list that I haven't covered before. And I do hope that you have been able to find these examples that I've listed before in real life somewhere beyond this podcast, beyond the general concept, the general ideas that I bring to you and the examples. Hopefully, you've been able to apply this theory and understand and analyze because, well, that's what I'm here for, to try and educate. And I hope I'm successful in doing so. Okay, let's get into it. Before we did items 13 to 20 on the list, we're going to be going from items 21 to 28 this time, and I'm going to try and keep myself from rambling on, but remember, at any time, you can stop listening to me. Number 21. Obscure the truth by claiming it will never be known or is too complex. This one should be rather easy to understand. If you are in an argument with somebody, and then it gets to the point where it's very convoluted and it's very difficult to understand, you you kind of just dismiss it as being, we may never know. Or if there's a lot of missing details, we may never know. And there's something in front of the details that you can't access, well, then we may never know. You can apply that if you brute force a wedge into the conversation that makes it so that some understanding cannot be reached about it. The most common way that I know how to do this is to reduce something to subjectivity because then it becomes unquantifiable, incalculable in a way, except for being in individual cases. And this is a way in which you can try and insert a level of, oh, it's too complex. We're never going to truly understand. The full the full scale of things we have to just assume that it's spectrum based, or it's or it's uh, not based on any standard, or it's not based on any rule, then. There's also omitting details, like you can also omit details prior to the argument or during the argument that make it so that you have no link between details. And then there is also the complexity of things, which you can kind of make more complex than the, than you need to. There's a lot of topics that you can get into, and if you word them a certain way, you can make them a lot more complex than if you just word them a more simple way. A way to introduce a level of complexity is that you deny the simplicity of dividing it into sets or subsets or categories jumble up the categories, put Venn diagrams up and then link the two commonalities between them and then try to base it as if you have to have it so that it's either absolutely contained or it's nothing. And that is the premise of your argument necessarily that does not have to be the truth of the thing, but that's what you posit. And then what we have to get into is considerations of where does the buck stop? where Where, where is the end? Where is that zero, zero point? Because there's crossovers with a lot of things. This one is particularly nasty because it can be the result of a powerful agency or a powerful group purposefully making things more difficult than they are to understand, purposefully conveying the information to learn it in a more difficult way than they should understand, like with Common Core, where things are made to be much more complex in terms of learning and understanding than they should be. And sometimes it becomes a case of, well, we can't access that information because that's a secret that the power structure will keep at hand. Number 22, assert that an issue can never be solved. Assert that the possibilities could only be the way they are now. You have to put forward all the pessimistic elements of the issue. If the issue has not been currently solved, you have to put forward the pessimistic points, the pessimistic arguments, and enforce them. And be quoted of yourself to be, say, then you're realistic. Say that you're being realistic about things. Say that the opponent is idealistic and say that you're being realistic. Say that you're being grounded. Say that we don't have the understanding yet to finish the problem and the problem can't be solved. Say that it's unsolvable because there isn't a problem in some cases. Assert the possibilities could only be the way they are now. Possibilities can only be as they are, and that possibilities could never change. And in, in some cases, just say that there would never be a possibility to change. Say that the possibilities are the way they are now, and that means that things can be done, but it's only possible, not probable. So forget about the problem of solving itself. Number 23. When your position is absolutely right to an unarguable, unfalsifiable point. You will find this with fanatics and you will find this with people who will not ever argue with you. You have to pretend as if you are right and everybody else is wrong and you have to put your fist down whenever they threaten you. It's not a matter of arguing, it's a matter of who shouts the loudest. It's loud, the loudest voice, all right? As long as you're louder and you have some basis that proves that you're right and you're completely, absolutely right from some external proving. Like, say you're doing it because you have the righteous authority of, of the god or gods you have. That's Religion used to be an easy way to do this, but now they do it in the sense of... Uh, they do it in ways that is like warped academia, scientism, scientism worship, They introduce it in ways that is to be that if you are basing it on science, then you are absolutely correct and inarguably, inarguably right. You cannot be bested. That is how some people think nowadays. That's just turned it into a new religion, hasn't it? So some people will try to press the issue that they are completely unable to be argued against. They are absolutely right because they pretend their position is such. And if you dare question their position, then you are questioning the almighty foundations by which it is proven to be absolutely right. That's not to say people can't be absolutely right. That is to say that people will pretend they are by backing it up with something that apparently automatically makes them absolutely right, despite the actual argument itself not being anywhere near close to that. Number 24. Agree with the facts but claim a false conclusion or red herring. For example, you need to think about the case for the Aboriginals and the Stolen Generation. Stolen generation is a reason to excuse why some Aboriginals cannot adjust to modern society. I wouldn't say that. I would say that we did them a disfavor by trying to throttle them with our colonialism and rocket them into our modern world. I would say there's a still deep ingrained Aboriginal culture that suppresses their element to do that. And I would say, that if anything, they seem to be suffering more in an urbanite culture than they do back when they were in a tribal situation. But no, no, that is the fault of the stolen generation. So the facts are, is that they are not just world and modern society very well. But the complete false conclusion that it's the fault of the stolen generation is ridiculous because stolen generation wasn't the only circumstance wherein Aboriginals were tried to be integrated into society, into civilization of the colonials. They now are put up and on a pedestal, some would argue, and we also have the problem, as a, as a side tangent, of Aboriginals being represented by people who are half-castes or people who are so diminished or even questionably Aboriginal at all. You have all these people who are going up and being representatives of Aboriginals who aren't actually Aboriginal from the look of it. Like, you, you look at them and you say, there's no bloody way that they're an Aboriginal. If they are, they're like 164th Aboriginal. Who are they to claim my ancestry and be my representative? Hmm? It's a bit insulting, I think. But anyway, sorry for getting political. This point of agreeing with the facts, but claiming a false conclusion or red herring is very potent. because 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 there are some very intelligent people throughout history who've been able to analyze things acutely. There's a meme about this with Patrick Starr. It's got a picture of Patrick Starr, him analyzing things in a scientific fashion. And and then the next picture is him beating down a piece of computer when he's talking about technology, right? So that's analyzing the problem versus providing a solution. That's a problem with people. It's called the critics problem. Critics can be very analytical and very understanding about the problems they're in of a system, something that they're criticizing, some sort of content or work they're criticizing, right? But when they're asked to provide an alternative, when they're asked to provide a better option, then they don't. They can't. They are not capable of doing so and they prove to be the case, right? So sometimes they will do something that is on purpose. People who do this, they will claim that there is this conclusion to be had in order to go in that way people can do this maliciously and they do it knowing that it will screw up and it won't be the way that which they project it it will be in fact another way which gives them power think about that okay and all the while that they're claiming this that they they have these wonderful solutions for you they're able to sit up there on their ivory tower when you complain about the shit show that has come of this and they're able to say well why aren't you so grateful for all the things we've done for you that maybe they're your freedom fighters maybe they're your revolutionaries in reality they've just fucked everyone over and they and the working man or the class man who didn't understand how this works, who's following these convoluted intellectuals in their crusade against the people who were supposedly oppressing them, then these working peoples, these underclass peoples, these working class peoples, even the middle class or any class that suffers from this, really, gets the picture of, wow, we got fucked over, but I guess we're in this mess now, aren't we? So I I better be part of the party, otherwise I'm going to get kicked out and put on the ground. That's it. So I'm going to move on now before I get too far into it. Number 25, take the discussion down a crazy route to make the argument seem ridiculous or the discussion to be kooky. For example, We're going to take the situation that might happen to people who are being attacked by financial troubles so who do we blame for our financial troubles we blame a lot of people for our financial troubles when we talk about problems with the international banking cartel we talk about international banking and international finance and how that's screwing over people right some people will say that it's not the international banking cartel it's not the international group of banks who are screwing people over in some fashion not it's not the world of finance right it is in fact the freemasonic reptilian hive mind vampire circuit that sounds completely batshit insane doesn't it that sounds crazy like wouldn't you put it a Bit more grounded but that is how this is like, they re, they turn it into an Alex Jones type play on things, a David Icke, Ick, a David I-C-K-E, I believe was his name, anyway, look, they turn it into some batshit insane stuff, all right, and being batshit insane, people start to ignore it, and it becomes unappealing towards the majority of people, because it just looks like another conspiracy theory, and this is the kind of reason why the conspiracy theorists are seen as idiots, and seen as far-fetched, because everyone always associates them with talking about the reptilian freemason, huh, of my right? So that's why people associate with them with idiots and far-fetched, because people end up with these sort of conspiracy theories being put out there that I would argue a lot of the time are completely constructed in order to make The people who were making the original theory that it was based off of look like an idiot, look like they're completely loony, that they're schizophrenic, that they're psychotic, or that they don't understand what they're talking about trying to make up shit because they don't understand. It It is used as a discrediting tool, and it is used for making false conspiracy theories that are supposed to throw flack through the criticisms by proxy to the original theory that it's based on, and it is something that can really then throw a movement into a spin or a death spiral, I would call it, because nobody wants to listen to it and nobody wants to advocate it and nobody wants to solve the problem because the problem comes from the conspiracy theory that is about Freemasonic reptilian hive minds. Yeah, real credible. So number 26, encourage laziness and irresponsibility about important issues. Because who cares, right? Who gives a shit? Okay. Well, it's not my problem. Not my problem. Throwing oil down your drains and causing huge fat globules, huge fat cylinders inside the pipelines. That's not my problem. That's not my problem. Who gives a shit, right? All the plastic floating, creating its own islands in the ocean. Who cares? I don't care. Do you care? It doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect me. Okay. So I don't give a shit. That sort of thing. Who cares? Encourage laziness and irresponsibility about it. That's what you need to do. A stagnant people are a dying people. Okay. Okay? You need to encourage laziness and irresponsibility wherever you go inside the enemy, and that way you get a much better result, and that result is this activity. You need to encourage them to be complacent, encourage them to treat themselves horribly and make them into a, a fat lard ball that can't go anywhere and do anything that is a dimwit. The, the very image of the old dimwit. You need, you need to aggrandize and reward this sort of behavior that makes people into a stagnant and dying one, and then you basically win. It's quite potent, but it's something that n- requires the destruction of of a standard, of of relenting, of of fighting on. Number 27, call your opponent a coward for desiring privacy and private or personal information. What's the most common form of this? If you got nothing to hide, you got nothing to worry about. Let me just rummage through your fridge. Oh, let me just open up your bag while you're standing there and just throw my hand in and then work my way through it to inspect it, quote unquote. If you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to worry about. I need to pull you over on the side of the road and I need to check your vehicle if you're harboring any illegals any drugs illegal substances any illegal materials or if you don't have a license if you don't have an id if you don't have any form of registration of the car or ownership of the car if you have anybody or anything in there you shouldn't have i need to know if you have that so yeah you get the point this also applies when it comes to you're not wanting to reveal any personal or private information which may make you look like a quote-unquote suspicious individual yeah you get what i mean by that They'll call you a coward because you won't dare show your face you won't dare bring out what you've been doing and who you've been talking to you're a coward you won't dare share those things with us with me you're a coward now we're gonna move on to number 28 number 28 sell a batshit insane idea in the midst of desperation, when desperation has come, when people are on their wits end or when they're on their last legs, you need to sell them a batshit insane idea. And through that, you must bring chaos and disorder. You need to bring a situation where from it, either you arise power through the chaotic agents doing your work, such so as a mass violent rebellion, or you gain power because you have corrupted the very basis of your opponents. Always look out for these. In times of desperation. Some batshit crazy person will suggest for you to do some batshit crazy things. Like, for example, if there appears to be a riot going on and your local provincial government is doing nothing about it, the police are out, the emergency services can't get to your house, and there's people marching through the streets, throwing bricks, shattering windows, deciding to assault people, harass people, kill people even, destroying businesses and everything. And this, a riot, a proper riot is going on, and the government can't do anything about it. The batshit crazy idea is to get people from all over the country to show up armed and ready to go and shoot down all these protesters and rioters. That's going to end up with a lot of repercussion, isn't it? And that's going to end up with a lot of you going to jail. Because the people, when they do come back to clean things up, or if they're selectively trying to keep the riot going, the local provincial government is secretly in the rioters, then the people who come in to the state will be arrested as fast as they can be arrested. People who are involved in it will be branded as terrorists and genocidal maniacs, because there's a chance that these rioters could be being portrayed as protesters. Remember, whenever you're seeing a situation, even how obvious it may look that it is not How they're portraying it. That doesn't mean that the court of public opinion will say the same. And that doesn't mean that the people who will judge you, that being the judges and the jury, will not see what you have done, as regardless of all of that, to be worthy of judgment from the court, from the law. Remember that before you go and do anything stupid or brash. Okay, we're going to be moving on now from the numbers list. What I'm going to talk about now is the concept of a gauntlet question what's a gauntlet question? I'm glad you didn't ask. A gauntlet question is either you answer yes or no, you're fucked. It's a catch-22. Why is it a catch-22? Because if you answer yes, then that means that you have to then defend your position. If you answer no, then they win the argument. So, what's an example of a gauntlet question today? Gauntlet questions have been thrown at people like Jordan Peterson. A gauntlet question, most common, comes up in political questions that are actually coming from a frame of pseudo-bias reductions. Pseudo-bias reductions is where people posit or they put forward their claim to be that they're trying to assess both sides of the issue, to counter the bias they may have. This may be a news interviewer, this may be a person doing a documentary, whatever it is. But in reality, they are there to scold and passive-aggressively, quote-unquote, inquire into their enemy and what the enemy is concerned with doing and what the enemy believes. So they can have you there on the show to be criticized, and the hard-hitting questions, so to speak, that we talk about, those hard-hitting questions are actually just traps for you to fall into, like being made spike traps for you to pitfall into on a bed of leaves that you think is just another step in the jungle. Gauntlet arguments, I've seen a lot of them. I've mostly seen gauntlet arguments when it comes to debates about both feminism and race, and why is that? Because they're both issues to regard someone's identity. They're both issues belonging to our base being. They're both issues belonging to, not necessarily our jobs, or our materials, but a personal attack. A person being attacked, and feeling attacked, even if they're not being attacked. It is very easy as a person who is doing journalism, or some form of questioning, to get away with asking a gauntlet question, and have people look over it, when people expect to hear a controversial answer, or people expect from this controversial topic to have controversial interactions, such as fighting, or being irrational, or being sarcastic or not even taking it seriously, or just mockery or violence in some way or another, not against the person, but rather against something surrounding them. What they're trying to do by asking these questions is provoke a reaction, because they know that where it will go if you answer yes or no, will be in the ways that don't suit you. The gauntlet question is presented in a way that appears to you as a viewer as something which is the hard-hitting question because it is supposed to be where they're supposed to go. It is the one that a journalist will be expected to ask. It is the one that is the blunt one and it is the one that when giving an answer, it will get the most blunt answer. But the further blunt it is, the more of a gauntlet question it is. It is the controversial question. A gauntlet question will be framed in a way that makes it inescapable for the answerer if they follow the question. Instead of looking at what has been said in the question, they just follow through with a yes or a no. So if I ask you, are you a racist, or are you a misogynist, then if you say no, I can question you based on all the other works that have been presented, continuing after that, and I can question you bluntly because they appear to be a misogyny, and then I can I can pretend that you're being dishonest, because the entirety of this was based on asking whether or not you are a derogatory element. That was the entirety this was based on. That's why it's pressing journalism. That's why it's pressing arguments, it was because it was based on the derogatory, are you a misogynist, or are you a racist? Why would I ever ask that, if not the implication? that what you are spouting is the nature of a derogatory person's statements and espousals. Why would I? If you say yes, then good luck. You're in the woods now. You'll be burnt to a crisp on national television. So instead, what you want to do is you want to look at that question if you're a person, say, like Jordan Peterson or your person who's on the spot and you want to ask why they're asking that question. Why? What came to you to think of it that way? What came to you to think of it that way? Why are you describing me as such to be like that in that question? Why why is that even a relevant question in the first place? Hmm? If I was talking about the complex racial differences, between the Blacks and the the Sub-Saharan Africans and the North Africans. If I was talking about the differences between uh, Black Sub-Saharan Africans and White Irish, When they ask me, are you a racist? Why is that even in the conversation? Why is it there? What's the point in asking that? Nothing to do with talking about the racial differences necessarily. It's to do with discrimination against races based on their race. It's it's not to do with the racial differences. If I started talking about the capacity for men and women to do a job, then what are they going to say? Are you a misogynist? Why are you asking me that question? Oh, well, I'm just asking a question. No, no, no. Why did you ask me that question? What does that word, that derogatory term, which is recognized as derogatory because people see it as a a basic idea of society's politics as being a derogatory thing, and I know you meant it in a way that meant derogatory by what content that language has been used in that like context. Why are you asking me that? So this is how you avoid the gauntlet argument. Because again, if you say yes, I'm a misogynist, well then you're in the you're in the fucking woods now, aren't you? Good luck. The wolves coming after you. If you say no, then they go back and say, but you just said what well, X Y is it? And this and this has been shown to be this has been shown to be rebutted by this person who's anti misogynist or anti racist. It's a trap. It's a trap to get you to be in this continual cycle of questions they will ask afterwards. Or it's a trap to put you in their little framework of how this, how people are supposed to see you, the little framework that they put you in, like a picture, a photograph, in time. But no, 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 you don't fall for that, okay? Gauntlet arguments, you look past them. You ask the interviewer, why are you asking me that, okay? If it's a particularly topical, but also derogatory or controversial thing that they're asking whether or not you are that, ask them why they're asking you that. And if they say, oh, I'm just curious, say, why are you curious? Why are you curious that I'm that? What does what I'm saying have to do with that? Oh, you can obviously see. No, I can't obviously see. Tell me, what about that is racist or misogynist or whatever it is? Hmm? You tell me, what about that is that? And then you're interviewing the interviewer and the power has been shifted. Something uncomfortable to talk about, which I maybe have featured in this podcast, is the amount of swearing that people are comfortable with today. Swearing, the great worry. Of parents everywhere we swear quite a bit so why why is swearing more common well we know because language and casual encounters became more popular more wanted more common as time went on right the liberation of speech you could call it swearing i've been using a lot of it in this podcast for recently this episode. The thing with swearing, and what gets me about it, is that you can find it by a pattern in people's speech politically. And the pattern that I find in it is that it's used often in an incessantly useless way. It's used for merely the fact of its presence rather than its content. You didn't need to word it as being fucking or shit cunt, this whatever that. You didn't need to have that as your words, but you added it in. I fucking hate that fact. I could just say that I hate that fact, but I have to say I fucking hate Fact. Why do I need to say that? That is common practice when speaking to others in an official, unofficial stance even. There is the quirkiness people still see in swearing despite how common it actually is that is applauded. Why is that imperative that I must say fucking before that? Here is an interesting thing I read about this. So, swear words by nature aren't necessarily supposed to be bad because they are curse words, right? That is part to do with it. But why they're bad to be said and why people who are even free speech advocates can support an anti-swearing idea is that you're not necessarily anti-swearing. You won't cancel out swearing everywhere that you go. Instead, the point is that if you're swearing every now and again for no fucking reason, you're just shitting all over the fucking place being a fucking cunt of a person. You see, it's Very toxic and very nasty, and it doesn't sound right. What is wrong there is that I'm just inserting words. Instead of saying it's fucking shit and you're a cunt for using it, I could just say that it's toxic and nasty, and you are an unreputable person for using it. You are a bad person for doing it. Swearing replaces important communication. Swearing becomes a habit, a bad habit. Swearing is done when you want to fit of rage or a fit of anger or something that is something that has made you excited something that has made you focused it is even overly joyed or in ecstasy arousal in general it means that you are stimulated and you need to get it out in the form of a word that you wouldn't use otherwise you could have said lamb you could have said cheese you could have said any other word but you said the word off oh, Fuck, because that was the first word that came to mind. It's a curse word, it's harsh. Slotting curse words in like you slot yourself in during a sexual encounter, is how language gets fucked, so to speak. Because instead of slotting things in, like a word you're supposed to use, right, you slot in a swear word. I am fully aware that I am speaking very strangely right now, but I'm trying to make the point. When you put the word fuck in where it didn't need to be, you've fucked your sentence. When you put swear words in there, people think that you've made a serious change. If I say that that car is a lamp, then you think I'm speaking complete nonsense. But if I say, that car is a... fucking lamp then oh that's curious maybe they have a point that they're, they're being rather emotional be rather emotive about this point they're they're getting onto something here and they have something to say some people might say but that's how people say if you don't want anybody to argue with you you will say something like it's fucking this way or fucking that way and i won't deal with this shit and this shit can get out of my way it's almost a dismissal at the same time as it is an anxious insert because you don't have anything to put in there, and if you did, you didn't put it in there, and you probably don't have anything to put in there except something to insert, in the hollow void that has been caused by your inarticulate nature, or your inability to get out that frustration, that anxiety, without using some sort of phrase that sounds like you have been aroused, or perked up, or made interest, or angered. It all comes down to emotion. We guise it under the idea that it's a freedom of expression, that it's a freedom of speech. But it constricts speech and communication. It constricts dialogue. Eventually, if just let alone, we all become bumbling idiots who Use the words fuck, shit, and cunt at living in place of more descriptive dialogue. As in place of more descriptive, informative, important communication language developed so complex and so importantly over all this time, thrown to the wind because we wanted to feel like we wanted to fuck that shit up. I'm not saying don't ever swear. I'm saying decrease the amount you do it. Read into something that you can expand your vocabulary. People do notice. Look, I want. I like money. Do you like? M- I like money. Do I do this for money? Rarely. Right now. But I like demographics. Because demographics make money. So what's my next demographic with this? Incels, right? Uh, Yes. Okay. Fellow incels. Come hither. I want to tell you something. And this this something is very important. That's why I have positioned myself closer to the microphone to do this. I have a catalog. I have a collection. An archive, if you will, of anti-male shaming tactics so all those people who are opposed to incels quote-unquote all those people who watch the the mig like saga the whole men going their own way thing (laughs) the whole men going their own way thing i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna market them for a moment so you just sit back relax and you enjoy because i i have here i have here a chart a very important one which applies the charges of anti-male shaming tactics and i'm gonna give a brief rundown what they are so let me just uh prop this up in ms paint and uh let's see if i can circle these keep track of what i'm talking about so 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 here we go start Charge code red. What's code? So this is done by codes. All right. So code red is the charge of irascibility. The target is accused of having anger management issues. Whatever negative emotions he has are assumed to be unjustifiable. So this is, so what you'll be told is like, you're bitter. You need to get over your angry women. You're so negative. So the response that you're supposed to have to this is anger is a legitimate emotion in the face of injustice. It is important to remember that passive acceptance of evil is not a virtue. Now that I'm actually reading this, uh yeah, I thought this would be uh, like joke material but this is uh that's good advice all right charge of cowardice code yellow the target is accused of having an unjustifiable fear of interaction with women some examples you need to get over your fear step up and take a chance like a man you're afraid of a strong woman so the response is supposed to be it is important to remember that there is a difference between bravery and stupidity yes there is the only risks that reasonable people dare to take are calculated risk but what if i'm bad at math We'll come back to that. One way is the likely costs and benefits of said risks. As it is, some men are finding out that many women fail a cost-benefit analysis. I mean, yeah, I'd agree with that. let's not let's not have my takes get too offensive now let me just move on down the picture okay so that was code yellow this is code blue charge of hypersensitivity target is accused of being hysterical or exaggerating the problems of a man like stop whining get over it suck it up you're just a man wait i read that wrong suck it up like a man there we go you guys don't have it as nearly as bad as us women you're just afraid of losing your male privileges the response is one who uses code blue shaming tactic reveals a callous indifference to the humanity of man it may be constructive to confront such an accuser and ask for a certain problem men need to face interest yes or no the accuser answers in the negative it may be constructive to ask why any man should care about the accuser's welfare since the favor obviously i'm just dragging this out since the favor will obviously not be returned if the accuser claims to be unable to do anything about the said problem one can ask the accuser why an attack is necessary against those who are doing something about it. Okay, all right. Co. Green, charge of puerility. The Peter Pan charge. Target is accused of being immature or irresponsible. Target's is basically being charged as being a uh, man-child. The response is, it should be remembered that one's sexual history, marital status, parental status, etc. are not reliable indicators of maturity and accountability. Agreed. If they were, then we would not hear of white-collar crime, divorce, teen sex, unplanned pregnancies, extramarital affairs, etc. Okay, all right. Next. Charge of endangerment, code orange. So designed. So this is designed to charge you as being sort of a menace to society. You you chud incels out there. The response is supposed to be, it may be constructive to point out that only bigots and tyrants are afraid of having the truth expressed to them. One may ask why some women think they can handle leadership roles if they are so threatened by a man's legitimate freedom of expression. All right. Charge of rationalization, code purple. So it's a sour grapes charge. You're just bitter because you can't get laid. I have had much experience with this one. Why? Because Chaboy is a virgin. Did did you pick that up? I mean, I was putting it down, so thank you. Uh, now I get to finally say it. Is that such a bad thing? No. But there's a lot in society today that rides on whether or not you've, well, ridden. So, in that regard, it does bear heavily on my reputation. I'm not going to tell you my age. But I can tell you that I'm a virgin. In this, And it's actually bullshit that it does. Because there's nothing really wrong with being a virgin. virgin a virgin. <laughs> Put a big B in front of that. A virgin. There's nothing wrong with being a virgin. Don't worry. If you're a virgin, in fact, it's probably a good thing. Depending on what your age is. No, you know what? Fuck it. The whole the whole time of your life, if you're a virgin, it's a good thing. Being a virgin is good. It's not necessarily bad to have committed sex afterwards. But and thus ruin your virginity and thus be banned from wizard school i guess but i i I mean the magic you you keep it and it is magic it is fulfilling to be a virgin because you don't have to worry about all all the problems that come with frequent sex like joy and human intimacy no you don't have to worry about any of those things no no so, the response is, in this case, it must be asked if it really matters how one arrives at the truth. In other words, one may submit to the accuser, what if the grapes really are sour? At any rate, the Code Purple shaming tactic is an example of what is called circumstantial ad hominem. Charge of fanaticism, Code Brown. Brown shirts charge. Target is accused of subscribing to an intolerant extremist ideology of being devoted to an ignorant viewpoint. Like, they sound like the KKK, one of those right-wing whackholes. You're an extremist, more like anti-feminist zaniness. Zane. Who uses the word zany? Who says zany now? I haven't heard that word being used by anybody except for me. I thought it was like a solipsistic thing where I was the only one who ever used that word. ZANINESS. Response One should remember that the truth is not decided by the number of people subscribing to it. Here, here. I too am not a fan of democracy. Whether or not certain ideas are out of the mainstream is besides the point. A correct conclusion is also not necessarily reached by embracing some middle ground between two opposing viewpoints. logical fallacy of false compromise charge of overgeneralization code gray discussion the target is accused of making generalizations or supporting unwarranted stereotypes about women here are some examples, I'm not like that, stop generalising, that's a sexist stereotype. The response is, one may point out that feminists and other women make generalisations about men. Quotations from feminists for example can be easily obtained to prove this point. Also one should note that pointing to a trend is not the same as overgeneralizing. Yeah, Although not all women have a certain characteristic, a significant amount of them may. Yes, yes that's true. Charge of misogyny is code black. The target is accused of displaying some form of unwarranted malice to a particular woman or to women in general. Examples are: you're a misogynist, you hate women. Do you love your mother? You didn't seem you do. You are insensitive to the plight of women. Mean spirited. You're going to make me cry. One may ask the accuser: How does a pro male agenda become inherently anti female? Especially since feminists often claim that gains for men and women are not a zero sum game. One may also ask the accuser: How do they account for women who agree with the target's viewpoints? The code black shaming tactic often integrates logical fallacies of argumentum ad misericordiam, viz, uh, argumentation based on pity for women, and or argumentum in terorium. No, terorim terorum Yeah, this is, this is where I learn how to pronounce these things on the broadcast. Arousing fear about what the target wants to do. To women. Charge of instability, code white. The white padded room charge. Discussion. Target is accused of being emotionally or mentally unstable. Here's some examples. You're unstable. You have issues. Yeah, 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 yeah. No shit. I think I figured that one out myself. You need therapy. Weirdo. In response to this attack, one may point to peer reviewed literature and then ask the. Damn it. I swore. I need to stop doing that, don't I? Sorry. And then ask the accuser if the target's mental or emotional condition can explain the existence of valid research on the matter. Okay. They're not going to read it, but. Okay. Charge of selfishness. This attack is self-explanatory. Common charge hurled at men who do not want to be bothered with romantic pursuits. Examples are, you are so materialistic or greedy. It may be beneficial to turn the accusation back on the one pressing the charge. Uh, For example, uh, one may retort, so you're saying I shouldn't spend my money on myself. I should instead spend it on a woman like you. You accuse me of being selfish. Just what are you planning to do for me anyway? Yeah. While I'm here let me introduce you to a concept men get friend zoned women get fuck zoned all right this is a thing that has happened in the world of liberalization the freedom of sexual expression and its culture of today have led to this where we have men get friend zoned right and that's a horrible thing it's a terrible thing supposedly it's it's like coming home a war veteran in terms of how it's portrayed sometimes but women get fuck zoned you you are just a piece of meat congratulations You've been liberated. You're just a piece of meat now. You're no better than uh, a warm chook and a very unsavory Saturday night. You, you, you are... You, <laughs> that's, that's what you are. You're a pump and dump. I'm sorry, but you're a fuck zone. That must really hurt. And I'm sorry if you are. The charge of superficiality is code gold. The all oh, that glitters charge. The charge of superficiality is usually heard at men with regard to their mating preferences. Some examples are, if you didn't go after bimbos, then... How can you be so shallow and turn down a single month? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, <laughs> okay 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 all right on a timer here come on the response is, average-looking women can be just as problematic in their behaviour as beautiful, high-maintenance women. Regarding the shallowness of women, popular media furnishes plenty of examples where petty demands are made of men by females. Those notorious laundry lists of things a man should or should not do for his girlfriend or wife, as an example. A charge of unattractiveness is code tan, the ugly tan charge. The target is accused of having no romantic potential as far as women are concerned. Some examples are, bet you're fat and ugly, you can't get laid, creep loser. Have you thought about the problem being you? This is another example of the circumstantial ad hominem. There we go. I'm learning. Yeah. All right. The target's romantic potential ultimately does not reflect on the merit of his arguments. Yeah. Okay. Here's the uh, charge of defeatism, the code maroon. So this shaming tactic is akin to the charge of irascibility and the charge of cowardice and the accuser attacks the target's negative or guarded attitude about a situation. However, the focus is not so much on the target's anger or fear, but in the target's supposed attitude of resignation. So examples are, stop being so negative. You're so cynical. If you refuse to have relationships with women, then you're admitting defeat. Come on, man. A doer's not quitter. The response is, the charge of defeatism can be diffused by explaining that one is merely being realistic about a situation. Also one can point out that asking men to just accept their mistreatment at the hands of women and society is the real attitude of the defeatist. Many men, wish death upon me, have not lost their resolve, many have lost their patience. Code pink, threat of withheld affection, pink whip. The target is admonished that his viewpoints or behavior will cause a woman to reject him as a mate. Some examples. No woman will marry you with that attitude. Creeps like you will never get laid. This is an example of logical fallacy argumentum ad baculum. The appeal to force. Baculum? Baculum? I think that is. Yeah. The accuser attempts to negate the validity of a position by pointing to some undesirable circumstance that will, fall anyone who takes their position. Really the only way to deal with the pink whip is to realize that a man's happiness is and worth is not based on his romantic conquests, including marriage. So there we go. This apparently comes from a Tumblr page, which I find to be ironic. It's a uh, voice, voice for men, frankly no, dot tumblr dot com. That's F, f- R A N K L Y N O dot T U M B L R dot com. Just to clarify that up for you. And it's voice for men, a voice for men. Okay. So say you like me, Kind of lazy, doesn't want to get a proper career education in politics, and just has all the time in the world to read or watch whatever they want. But say you don't want to read whatever you want. Say you want to get a good idea of what to watch. Films, entertainment that will entertain you and educate you, or at least give the artistic work, the substance behind it, some idea to you will give of what its subject matter is talking about. Okay, I have some things for that. I have some things for you, fellow... Kino Enthusiast, I have some things for you. Please listen in. I promise you, I will get to doing some more valuable content that isn't just me reading off a list in... Well, that's the entire reason I started this, isn't it? I was reading off a list. Shit. Well, I mean, I'll... I'll I'll get to doing things that aren't just that soon. So, this is the viewing that you want to check. You want to look for the film called The Corporation. They Live, John Carpenter film. Trust me, the interpretation you're supposed to have is about the the capitalistic giants of today's world controlling people's minds, but the alternative interpretation, which I have seen as well, is something that I can't mention on this podcast, but Oh, boy, howdy. I can see how much of an effect it has because John Carpenter himself denied that interpretation because of how controversial it was. But it sure, it sure caught on. Let me just say that. It sure caught on. Now, you have Inside Job. It's not a good film. Falling Down with Michael Douglas. That's a, that's a fantastic film. You can show that to your boomer parents and they'd really enjoy that one. Although I should note that that film itself has been talked about poking through the opposite side as a means for giving people a sort of cathartic release in a character that actually characterizes them as the bad guy anyway good film watch it kubrick's dr strangelove fantastic watch come and see another film the matrix yeah obviously the matrix right gattaca brazil wag the dog network the good shepherd downfall Lord of War, Triumph Das Willens, I hope I'm saying that right. Triumph of the Will is the English translation. The World at War, Manufacturing Consent. Gangs of New York, The Wave. Defem Actually, no. I'm not going to suggest that one. If you know what I'm talking about, we well, heard the first start of that. Yeah, nah. I ain't gonna suggest that one. Apocalypse Now, The Sum of All Fears, Taxi Driver. And then also watch Hardcore with the same guy, uh, George C. Scott. He did fantastic work in. Hardcore, which is done by, I think, the same writer as Taxi Driver. It's a lesser known film, but it's a fantastic film covering about the pornography scene at the time. Syriana, Zulu, Indoctrinate You. That's you as in, like, the letter U. Death Wish, Camp 14. It's a movie about North Korea. Look it up. Century of the Self. Yes, Century of the Self is a very important film you want to be looking at. I think it's probably the, the basest film that can be agreed upon by both libertarian capitalists, uh, socialists, and those against the capitalist system, and third positionists and republicans. I think everybody who truly cares about politics can look at Century of the Self and go, yeah, okay, there's some problems happening. All right. 2081, Citizen Four, Dark of the Sun, Idiocracy, Eyes Wide Shut, Money for Nothing, The Mona Lisa Curse, Whitey, W-H-I-T-E-Y, Starship Troopers, The Fog of War, The Passion of the Christ, The Unknown Known, Red Dawn, Restrepo, that's R-E-S-T-R-E-P-O, Armadillo, Threads, it's a nuclear war film, it's a fantastic, it's a very gnarly film, I should tell you that, Patton, Patton, that is, P-A-T-T-O-M. Dirty Harry, City of Life and Death, Lawrence of Arabia, which is my favorite film, actually, and JFK, yep, all of these go watch them if you can if you want a political idea of things very good points made and very interesting things to discover in these films go check them out for the final part here i'm going to be describing a method by which political change can be achieved inside a society inside civilization that isn't a way that's aggressive it's more assertive or even passive what it is in lasting out the storm so to speak What do I mean by that? Day to day, day in, day out, we can see on forums of people who are disgruntled with the current way things are going in the world that they have very little power to change it. And we can see therein their complaints and their frustration and what they say they're going to do, what they say they want to do, but more often than not, not having the opportunity to do so, they just continue this cycle of frustrations. Even though they vote in the politicians they want, even though they get the changes that they want, the results and outcomes are not of their favor. So, what we need to talk about is a way of doing passive activism, passive change, passive reformation. What does that mean? The idea of having a homestead with a partner with children, having pets, having a garden, having produce that you make, living off tank water, living off solar, all this sort of independence from the system and living in your own paradise. This can be part of your own self-sufficiency, but it can also be part of your own political statement. What you should do is if you don't like society as it is, work towards this passive model of living and resisting it. If you don't like society as it is, you own that household. You own that household or you come to have ownership in that household or you come to have a place in that household that you will have in the future and you run it how you like. It's your property. It's your place of living. You run it how you like. How does this work though? Because you're not going to change the society around you. What this does is that in the time being before it comes to the point where you have people with guns bashing down your door to hurt you, you have this reformation of your own. This change of your own. You establish your life and then you try to go as off the grid, as off supply, as off reliance to the power structures as you can, like what hippies did in hippie communes and they lived upon their own. And this is the idea you wanna to expand towards your own homestead, a manageable lifestyle that has value contributions that will last you, your lifetime, and outlast you, your lifetime, to your children's lifetimes. Eventually, if you're right, then there will become the day where you be reaped of what you have. So what you want to do is you want to start making it so that they can't reap you of these things. You want to make sure that you have you and your kind integrated into society in a way that you become some form of law-abiding citizen, but at the same time that you are able to circumvent the idea of being a threat. Instead of going out there and putting up posters and campaigning, that's the thing that people want to do when they want to get into the power structures that already are already there. And more often than not, you'll find that they're acceptable to do it and they're allowed to do it because the powers that be are letting them and allowing them to do it they're they're like okay you can do that like if you see a poster in melbourne that has uh advertising socialism up good chance is it's going to be allowed to be there and it's going to be even put up by funds from the trades unions center in Melbourne, trades hall. Maybe it is. I've seen them come out of there a few fair few times. I'm not exactly sure how they print out all these posters, get all these posters up, but I imagine they get funding from the trades hall because the trades hall has interests in unions and workers, right? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I know that all these posters go up and it's, it's, uh, how you could call it, kosher. It's acceptable. It's, it's uh, a given, right? If you put up a sign that talks about how you want to return to some form of reactionary civilization, how you want to become a third positionist fascist group, then your signs will be immediately not only torn down, but you will be almost hunted down and be questioned. Not press media, then maybe even the authorities for what you're trying to spread around. You're allowed to spread it around, I guess, but I know for a fact that if you poster in such aggression, like say the, I think it was the Adam Waffin Division. No, it was Antipodean Resistance, the Australian version of Adam Waffin Division. Yeah, they poster around and aggressively things things like hang banners from highways, freeways. This is a stupid idea, all right. This just gets you and your group looking like you're a terror threat. You you think you're so confident, and then you end up going up in hikes in the mountains. This is a stupid idea. Stop doing it, okay? Do that on your own private time as a group. Don't don't put it out there to press people. Don't get it out there on release follow the model of passive activism in the way that you need to make your life better and you need to circumvent the challenges that are in front of you to start living completely off the reliance of the power structures that be. You need to if you need to work within society, you know, having a job and making a living and whatnot, you need to become the essential parts of it. You need to work as tradesmen. You need to work as people who do specialist jobs. You need to work as people who work in security. You need to work as people who work in high levels of positions of government or people who are in things like the defense sector, like protection and the signals directorate. This is just examples for Australia. It would be in America where you want to do this. You want to make sure that you are the people in the institution. So when it comes your time to change things, you have been sitting there all long and you didn't have to say one word of your own propaganda to anyone. You were just there waiting for the time to act. That's what you want to do. If you have to participate, you become an essential element. You become a person who is very skilled, highly skilled, highly capable, and has themselves has themselves rooted in the way that they have themselves dug into the soil, sustaining it themselves there. You are like a weed to these people. If you be passive, you just live your life to the fullest, but you are extremely against them, politically speaking, but you run your own household, you are like a weed upon their garden. They can't stand to have you. So they're going to come around at some point to poison you. But if there's many of you weeds and the grass won't start growing, well, that's the thing. You need to become essential. You need to strain the system by being the thing that sustains itself outside of it. If you can find some way to reduce your tax and hell, even get money back from the government that aids you, that isn't just living on welfare, then If you can contribute value back into society with that money then you go ahead and do that otherwise please don't you you want to make sure that being yourself is a benefactor to not only society but the people around you and the causes around you you need to think of a passive model the time for thinking there will be a day where the civil militia will rise up and start challenging the government with firearms and start marching on canberra that sort of thing for australia isn't going to happen right soon and you'll just be the ones who look like idiots because you'll be the small force to do it but anybody i'm talking about anybody in the world who could do this if you oppose the current political system you don't go out and commit terrorism you don't go out and commit murders and genocide you don't go out and do that that is the sort of stuff that the government psyop the, the government fakes can do for you or it's the kind of thing that you will do which will land you and all your friends in a bad position okay instead root yourselves in the ground become the weed in the grass keep growing so keep sustaining don't become a parasite thrive in someone else's garden and make sure your children's children have something to come live with something to inherit because when the time comes the collapse comes you want them to be as such i have continued to say this i have repeated myself because i want you to get that through your skull stop going out there actively campaigning unless it is an essential issue that needs to be changed a lot of people today think they have political power when in reality they don't and a lot of people who will organize the rallies and organizations that are those people's employers are doing this because another power wants it done for theater for show they want it done because they have other ulterior motives that not might not match you if you're genuinely politically motivated do passive action survive perpetuate become the essential Okay, that's going to be that's gonna be it. That's wrapping it up. I hope you enjoyed what I've put here today. Next time, we're going to be going through the same things, the same list of items, you know, how it goes. Thank you very much for listening. If you didn't notice it, I've put a Patreon onto my page. Now, I'm not asking you to actually start donating me money, but it will be nice. Thank you so much if you do. Maybe I can get a better recording set up right now. Hopefully, that'll be sometime in the future. But for now... Thank you so much. And please, go out there, and as I said earlier on in the show, the Boers, the Indians, help anybody in the current South African crisis who is being affected. You find out how they're doing, what help they need, and you get the word out there. And if you're listening to this well beyond the crisis has happened, you remember it, and look back upon it, and learn what sort of things were said and done to excuse what has happened. The Rainbow Nation was a lie, and we're seeing the results of embracing a lie. Thank you and goodbye. Oh yeah, and one last thing, I highly encourage, if you hear me swearing again, make a swear count, because that will be the amount that someday I hope to redeem myself for. How am I going to redeem myself? We'll see.